Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, uh, here with Jordan Beller, uh, Business Development Manager of G2 Esports, and excited to talk to him a little bit about the esports and technology space. Jordan's got a great background with a variety of experiences across the NFL, the uh, NBA, and the NHL, and uh, branching into the brave world of esports, but nonetheless, uh, a big world uh, and, and a big part of our industry. Uh, so excited to learn a little bit more from him about what he's doing in that space. Uh, G2 is is headquartered in uh, Berlin, Germany, and uh, he is one of the the only, I think, uh, employees in the U.S. right now. So um, he's dealing with a bunch of different time zones. We were talking about that a little bit in the sense of how to deal with, uh, you know, waking up early or staying up late for certain meetings. Uh, so Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to uh, to be able to chat. I appreciate the invite, Jake. So we know you're on Eastern Standard Time now, but how many different time zones on a daily basis are you probably dealing with? Wow. Um, so I think, you know, we have people that are in Madrid, London, Berlin, um, a few other places, We California, Toronto. So uh, there's a group pretty much across like four or five different time zones, depending on other companies and, and people that I'm talking to. So it can be anywhere from five to six different time zones a day and trying to keep it all straight with uh, setting meetings and making sure calendar invites don't get mixed up. So it can be uh, it can be a mess sometimes, but it's kind of fun that way when you get to talk to so many different people and, you know, especially when they live in different parts of the world, they see things a little bit differently. So it's, it's kind of a, a unique, like, diverse lens uh, compared to some of the traditional sports experience I've had uh, in the past. And uh, for our listeners, you, you did recently actually start this role uh, back in, I think you said May and um, around that frame time, obviously we're all been kind of working from home virtually. And so I'd have to imagine that almost helps you in a sense of being able to, to see these faces across the world uh, and interact with them a little bit better as opposed to having to travel uh, quite quite some miles uh, to see them uh, in in the normal world, I guess pre-COVID. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you got to G two esports and uh, your path along the way there. Yeah, I definitely took um, fairly non-traditional path to esports. I, I know there's a big part of the industry that um, comes from the gaming world, and they really like they know and understand. They play a lot, and they they have such a great sense of you know, what actually resonates with fans and come up with these awesome ideas of things that we can do um, to make it even bigger and better. But as it's continued to grow, um, they've brought in some people from the traditional sports space. Um, you know, my direct boss is from the NFL, spent time at IMG and some other agencies. So uh, we have a pretty diverse sense of people across the organization. Our COO uh, used to be with Adidas. Um, so yeah, I think you know, when I first started college, uh, undergrad back in the day, I was an engineering student. <laughs> um, and here I am today now working in professional sports. So it's really funny how things uh, end up. But I had a professor um, in my undergrad who had come from the sports business world. And, you know, as a you know fan of sports, someone who played sports growing up, like you don't really know everything that goes into the business side. And as he started to give me like insights into the opportunities that exist. I ended up 
changing my major and kind of jumping full into sports and started working uh, first in Tampa at this nonprofit that works with the NFL alongside um, coach Tony Dungy, who was kind of my mentor for about a year and a half and had some awesome experiences there um, doing partnerships and, and fundraising for the nonprofit and then decided it was time to kind of jump back in, and go into grad school. So participated in the uh, USF program at the Vinick School of Sport Entertainment Management, which was an awesome experience and got to work with the Tampa Bay Lightning for a couple seasons, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Bucks, um, built a lot of great relationships with Dr. Harrell and Dr. Sutton. And um, eventually, once I finished the program, decided to make the jump up to the Northeast and try something completely different and uh, joined Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, where I worked on the partnership strategy and sales for about four years across the New Jersey Devils, the Philadelphia 76ers. And then back in 2016, um, maybe six months after I started, they acquired an esports org and they were the first pro sports organization to do that. And um, so that was a, you know, something that people knew they wanted to be involved in, but maybe wasn't exactly sure of what to do with it and how to run it and monetize the business. And so, um, you know, I wanted to kind of stand out internally and um, kind of made that a, a place of expertise for myself to try and understand the world and how it works. I mean, I played a few video games growing up, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a, a gamer as hardcore as some of the people that we, uh, that we see across the industry, but, uh, but it was great to go to events. And um, I think the, the moment for me was in 2016, I went to TD Garden in, in Boston. They had the League of Legends North American Championship. And for two days, I saw this place pack out with um, all kinds of people dressed as characters from the game, wearing their favorite team's jerseys, like standing up and screaming. I mean, you would have thought that a Celtics or a Bruins game was going on in there. I, they had Gordon Hayward like out on the stage. And from there, I just saw like, you know, people talked about this space as like an up and coming thing, but it was already there. And, um, and from there, it's just continued to get even bigger and better. So um, that really sold it for me. And I just continue to gain experience in the space. And then when G2 called, it's, uh, you know, as one of the top teams in pretty much every game they play and a really massive global organization that's really more than just esports. It's really like a big media company. And um, when they said they were opening a New York City headquarters and wanted me to join, it was uh, it was an honor. So I'm um, excited to now be about two months into this role and uh, see what we can do from here. You know, you mentioned the the fact that G2 is a media company. And for our listeners, uh, I would love for you to provide some color in terms of what that truly means in, in the landscape of sports, right? We, we think of, you know, the teams uh, and the, the leagues and all the different constituents that exist. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these teams, leagues and such exist because of the media partners, right? And the And the funding and the ability to really advance things forward. Um, when you talk about the media side of things, what is the media landscape within the esports world? Yeah, so it's definitely probably the biggest difference between traditional sports and esports. Uh, you got you can imagine like the main revenue sources for traditional sports teams. You have a stadium, you sell tickets, um, you get the media deals as part of the league. Um, there's all these things that kind of make it unique versus an esports where 
you know, you're often either playing in a studio um, or you're playing in different tournaments that happen in different parts of the world and they're run by different operators. And so um, very varies widely from game to game, but at the end of the day, like for an organization itself, like sponsorship revenue is really the lifeblood of the organization. And so um, from a media standpoint, you know, Twitch is, is the biggest player in the space. Like if you are looking for live esports entertainment, like that is the place to go. And so we have a, a great partnership with Twitch that, you know, we work together and, you know, most of the content that we're creating lives on their platform. Um, we have our, our social platforms on just like every other traditional sports organization where we engage with fans. And, um, you know, I think we see a massive engagement rate compared to traditional sports as well. And I think uh, it kind of speaks to the, the type of content, the way we engage and almost in a way that's like, um, a little irreverent sometimes they we make fun of other teams but we also make fun of ourselves and we have the ability to kind of be a little bit more edgy and um, and I think people really love to see that and we've been able to get uh, partners comfortable with that as well and um, once they've been attached to them maybe it didn't make sense necessarily for for their brand image as they had planned but once they were a part of it they realized like in esports, the most important part is like being authentic and creating that connection in a way that doesn't seem like an ad that's like forced on people. And so um, I think that's, that's been one of the biggest keys in order to um, drive the media side. But speaking from like a holistic level of the organization, when it comes to media, like we, we do call ourselves a, a media company. And I think a lot of traditional sports teams are seeing it too during this time when they haven't been able to during the COVID crisis um, have games and stuff like there's still a digital uh, entertainment platform to be had. Like you might not own the network that you are broadcast on, but you can create some really entertaining and interesting content that people consume. And um, if you can do that on a big enough scale, then um, you, they are a media company too, even if they don't own the networks. And so, um, that's what we do as well outside of the competitive space. And we don't own Twitch. We work with them. But at the end of the day, we, as a media company, our goal is just to create interesting and funny and entertaining content that people want to watch. And, um, you know, we can go out and work with other media companies to distribute it on other platforms and ultimately drive revenue through our organization by um, working with other companies who want to be a part of it. And you mentioned the the content generation aspect of it. And I'd have to imagine that the fan generation or the, you know, the fan engagement piece is, is huge on your end in terms of making sure that what you are putting out there does resonate with your fans. What's the biggest difference you've seen in your experiences in the esports world from a fan engagement perspective, as opposed to, you know, the traditional sports or college sports where they have this true, you know, maybe it's an alumni passion or, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to bleed Philly. Um, what's, what's the difference in the fans? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like fans, obviously as not being a, like a regional team, like if as a 76ers fan, like I'm probably either I'm from Philadelphia or I love Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, like a lot of times that's where the traditional sports connection comes from. And I think in esports it's so different because it's more of the 
Premier League style, like there's fans all over the world and not saying that there aren't for traditional sports, but it's definitely where the majority of the connection comes from. And then within esports, it's definitely like player and personality driven. And we've been able to capture that through like the brand of the organization as a whole. And I, I think our, our founder and CEO, Carlos, um, he is a legendary League of Legends player and that's kind of origins of our business, but um, the brand like really reflects his personality and everything that we do. And I'd, I'd say it's most similar to in the United States, like the way that Wendy's like is known for on social media, like the brand that they have where they kind of, they're not afraid to like go after their competition and like poke fun or, you know, maybe post something that's like edgy, but um, you know, what fans really love in esports is like those popular memes that go around, like we have our own like G2 specific memes that are running jokes like all year round. And um, some of those like are really what drive the content. And so, you know, last year, the League of Legends team made it to the world finals. And that was a, an incredible accomplishment for the organization. Um, you know, we've dominated Europe for the past five years of existence. And, uh, and it was the biggest stage in the world like it's the most it was the most watched esports event of all time and so we were super proud of that moment but once we made it there um it's, it's it was a series best of three and uh, or sorry best of five and we lost oh three and so um you know we made some memes and jokes out of it like our ceo like in a clown like hair and nose and stuff like that and like the meme like oh three has continued throughout and so you know even though it was like um a tough moment for us and our players and you know we were proud to make it to that stage but at the same time like we accept like that's what happened and we're not afraid to like continually poke fun at that and i you don't really see that in traditional sports it's definitely one of those like meme things that really takes off especially in the esports space but we've continued on with it and it's just a a theme that kind of reflects all year round for us. And I think that's why we see, you know, 12 to 15 times engagement on our social platforms. Whereas, you know, a lot of like Premier League clubs, for example, have two to 3% um, engagement or two to three times engagement rates. So, you know, we are well above and beyond what, um, what you're seeing in other sports and, and super proud of that. Where do you see the esports landscape going in the sense that, you know, a couple of years ago, esports was a buzzword, even though on the other side of the world, it was exploding and, you know, this huge thing. And then now it's kind of really finally settled into the U.S., right? And uh, now it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. But where does it go? Where where are the opportunities that lie? And, you know, you mentioned you guys are building a New York headquarters, right? Obviously, that's, you know, probably the, the first stepping stone of of continuing to grow and expand and stuff like that. But how do you how do you take advantage of some of those opportunities that are going to exist, especially in the media side of things, like you mentioned? Yeah, I think, um, I think the really the biggest thing, and, and it's what we tell brands too, as we're having conversations, like what sets us apart in particular versus a league or another opportunity that's out there. And, you know, from, from the experience of our leadership and, and the investors that we have, like we have the flexibility to kind of be nimble within the space. And you think of an esports org, like the best way I can compare it is like the parent company, similar to how Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment owns 
the 76ers, Devils, Dignitas, et cetera. Um, you know, you think of the NBA, NHL, MLB, all being separate sports. Um, every esport is separate. So esports is kind of overarching term for competitive gaming. But League of Legends fans are different from CSGO fans are different from every game's fan base. There's not a ton of crossover in between. And so, you know, you think of G2 Esports being like as if we had an MLB, an NHL, an NFL team because they're all different teams and different fans. And so, you know, we have the ability to reach such a wide range of people um, located in different parts of the world. And, you know, depending on a structure like our League of Legends team plays in Europe. Um, so, you know, typically, as you would expect, like a heavier European presence, but still a decent um, U.S. fan base as well. But our Rocket League team is based in the U.S. and we they live in a house together in New York City. And so, you know, the majority of their fan base is based in the U.S. So you kind of see how it is reflected based on different parts of the world. But um, in esports, like the way to stay competitive is not only being the first to find the best players and get them on your team, but also making sure that you're a part of the best games. And, um, you know, you see how like different games have franchised League of Legends, Riot Games franchised um, some of their leagues around the world. And being a part of that initial group is key in order to kind of building your brand in that space and games pop up and sometimes they disappear. Um, you see games like, Apex Legends that had a massive, massive launch. And then, you know, now a lot of orgs are dropping their competitive teams. So, um, you know, it's really about knowing where to put your chips, um, being smart about where you're investing and signing players and really like being on the forefront of what is the next big game so that we can be part of it early, get the best players and then ultimately help drive the success of that sport as a whole. And so I think for us right now, like we are super excited about um, Riot's new game Valorant and it's set all the Twitch records for launches, single day viewership, things like that. But, you know, you have a publisher who's created the world's most popular um, computer game with League of Legends with most players. I mean, we're over 10 years into that game and it's still at the, the top by far. So we're super excited about the future of that game. And have already signed our first team. We're hosting different tournaments all that are happening throughout Europe um, into the US. And um, I think like to answer your question, yeah, like it's really about being nimble, jumping into games. And I think, you know, as different games pop up, you're really just expanding your footprint on a global level by jumping into more. And then if something phases out, like shifting your resources appropriately. Well, and you think to your example, right? Like if you're the Las Vegas Golden Knights and you're, you know, expanding as an NHL expansion team, you're not expecting that league to go away, right? In two to three years. Meanwhile, exactly. that's that's the situation that you're facing is that well, the opportunity might be golden and it's staring you in the face, but it might go away in three years because the game's not popular anymore, which blows my mind, right? Like how can you work so hard to build something you've got the great players you're developing them and then it just kind of falls off of a cliff to to some extent right and uh then you're also tracking are those players are they good at another game or are they only useful for the one game that they were good at 
what's how, like how do you guys go about the the player piece yeah i mean that those people that you know to define the players with that ability like you have to have uh an expertise and an eye for talent like no no different from traditional sports teams having scouts that live in different parts of the world and go and watch like a bunch of games and try and find the best like you know we have people who know these games really really well even the new ones they they know like what it takes to be a great pro gamer and they use that in combination with um you know like statistical analysis and um different algorithms that they've created in order to find all these different data points and identify talent before other people do and i think it's it's kind of a race across esports to like continue to build that up so um you can find like from the entertainment side like a content creator um before they become ninja basically like you know to go out and sign a guy like that to represent g2 right now is expensive um because he's already the bit like the one of the biggest names in gaming in the world but if you can find you know someone who's kind of early on in their career identified the talent and then help curate their growth i think that's where you can really set yourself apart and so um, people much smarter than I am when it comes to gaming are are helping us do that, and um, they're doing a great job because you know we have uh, one of, if not the best, League of Legends team in the world. We were just ranked number one in CS:GO. Um, we won the Rocket League North American Championship last year, so you know pretty much in every game that we compete in, we're we're at or near the top. So it's uh, it's been amazing to see. No, it's it's great uh, momentum to build on, nonetheless, and. Uh, exciting to see where that goes. Where does the the collegiate space build into all of that in the sense of the landscape and how some of the programs are starting to pop up that the esports teams or even just the, the club teams, um, where, where does that play a, a factor into it all? Yeah, I think, I think it's amazing. It's going to be super helpful for the overall growth of the industry at a grassroots level. I mean, we've seen gaming is such a a big industry as a whole when it comes to a casual level but when it when you're talking about esports you're seeing a lot of professional players especially in games like fortnite like players are in their prime from the ages like 14 to 25 uh, which you know are basically high school and college age kids and so you know a lot of our players are within that age range like i think everywhere from 17 or 18 up to like 24 or 25. And so, um, you know, at the moment I, I'm fascinated to see now that there's been more of like the influx of training and professionalism and things like that within the space to see, you know, do players careers extend. I know there's a conversation around like, you know, where's the cognitive drop off between someone who is 15 years old and someone who's 25 years old, like those players sometimes have an advantage because their reflexes are, are much quicker, but, you know, can we extend that through um, science and, and trainings and things like that? And so, you know, I think the whole industry is, is working on that. And, um, you know, sh if we're able to shift it to extend players careers, then I think the collegiate level can become a, a feeder system for the pros, just as you see within traditional sports. Uh, especially within the U.S., I think I think that would be the ultimate goal. But at the moment, it's it's great for us, especially at a 
fan development level and a, a player development level just to have that competitive um, space for people to aspire. Like if you are able to grow up and, and do your training to try and become a professional gamer and maybe you make it on a full ride scholarship to a college and that's your, your way to get your education. I think that's a, a huge success in itself. And um, not everyone is going to be a professional gamer at the end of the day, just like, you know, most college football players don't make it to the NFL. Um, you know, I think that having that outlet is super important for the overall health and growth of the industry. And I think it's only going to continue to be more so um, as things take shape. Yeah, no kidding. And and the college space, obviously, the sky's the limits in terms of the amount of schools. And um, from an operational perspective, you only have, what, a couple guys on the team, right? I mean, it's not, you're, you don't, you don't have 60 guys on the sideline. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, it's our le yeah. It, and it depends on the game, but, you know, sure. some teams have three and some have five. So we're not talking big numbers for sure. Yeah, definitely scalable. And uh, as we wrap up the episode, I, I want to kind of maybe address the, the three misconceptions or myths of esports uh, coming from someone who spent some time in the space. And, you know, for those of us that are in the you know, sports industry as a whole, uh, sometimes people can certainly get wrapped up in the sport itself. But, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it's truly a business, right? And there's so many things that go into the business side. And regardless of whether it's uh, gaming versus you know, football versus hockey versus basketball and the, and the sports go on, it, there's always a, a business aspect to it. And it's always changing rapidly as we speak. So from the business side, what are the, the three biggest misconceptions that people maybe don't know about esports being on, uh, you know, maybe being in the NFL or being, you know, in, a, in another sports property? Uh, that's a great question. I, I would say probably one being that there's a lot of similarities between like running an esports organization and running a traditional sports organization. And we see that with the leadership um, just within our organization who have made the jump over. And, you know, I think that bringing some of the success from partnerships, especially within traditional sports and the experience of understanding like how to work with brands and really drive success, I think makes, um, makes a big difference for our business. And so, you know, I think that people think that esports is like this whole world that they don't understand from a business side, but um, you know, the product is different and maybe the structure of how teams make money. But I think a lot of the um, traits and experiences do cross over. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I'm somewhat proof of that. My boss is somewhat proof of that. I think there's a ton of other stories like that across the industry. Um, I think that this is more from a, um, a fan perspective, but I think a lot of people on the business side think that fans are mostly like, you know, people that are sitting in their mom's basement and they don't have a job and um, they just never see the light of day and they play video games all day long. And I think that's a big misconception within the, the industry. And I think you don't even have to look further than, just uh, even the professional athletes within like the NBA and NFL who are all, you know, gaming on a, a regular basis. Um, you know, most gamers are not like that. They actually have a higher household income than most traditional sports fans. They might be younger, but they're often um, high, highly educated. 
passionate about like technology and sciences and things like that. So, um, and, and two, their health is, is important for them too. So um, I think that's a big misconception within the industry as well that I think is important. And then I think also just like the fact that I love that gaming now is cool. I, I don't think it used to be like people growing up, like my parents used to tell me like, turn it off. Like it's, you're wasting your time. Like it's time to get outside and like get some exercise. And like, it, there's definitely a, a balance there that's important, but, um, but this is ultimately a, a business and something people can strive to be part of either on the business side or on the competitive side. Um, and I think that that's going to be key for the future is now that there's um, celebrities to look up to. I mean, growing up, like, you know, we all have our, our athletes or celebrities that we idolize and aspire to be. I think now gaming has enough of those that are, are well known. And um, I think that's just going to help the industry take off even more. So, um, so yeah. No, gaming, it's, it's funny you say that, uh, that last one about kind of being cool, because I think to the show, I don't know if you've seen the show Ballers with, uh, with the, yeah. but uh, the, the defensive end from the Cowboys, I mean, he's all about the gaming and he's got this, you know, $100 million contract sitting in front of him. Uh, sorry for the spoiler alert if no one's caught up on the, on the last couple of seasons. But, you know, he's, he's all about creating his own gaming team. And, and uh, I guess you can be, you know, two, two kinds of professional athletes in that sense. Yep. And uh, I think just yesterday I saw on, um, on Instagram how as the players entered the bubble in Orlando to continue playing basketball, um, a bunch of them are gaming. It was LeBron, Anthony Davis, and somebody else. They jumped on NBA 2K and like basically broke the game. There were so many people like that. They have a little icon that shows who they are in the game that they're actually an NBA player. And there were just hordes of people like coming to like, just follow them around this virtual world. And I think like, you know, you see it enough when people, go on live stream and they've got tens of thousands of people just watching them play because it's it's entertainment but um you know it's unique in a way that you can actually get involved in the game and like even play against some of your favorite stars I think that's that's pretty cool because I probably couldn't get on a basketball court and play against LeBron James <laughs> I don't think I think uh, the two of us both would get demolished even if we teamed up together so um, Jordan appreciate the insights into not only uh, your career path into esports but then also just a little bit more about the industry and um, certainly look forward to to seeing your career grow as well as uh, G2 and uh, you know exciting to to see what esports is is going to to teach us all uh, in the sports industry as as it continues to evolve so appreciate your time. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I appreciate uh, you having me on and always happy to talk esports. So.